This is week two of a series entitled Taking Ground. And if you want to follow along with some notes, you can do so uh, using the QR code on the screen. Um, and if you're watching online, it's there on the bottom of the screen for you. You can follow along. I do want to just address quickly our friends online who are watching this. I know that uh, we have thousands of people uh, literally every week watching our messages from around the world. And we love you. And uh, we thank God for you. We celebrate you. And uh, I, I want to just be bold enough and uh, clear enough with you that if City Light has been a blessing to you, I want to ask you to prayerfully consider helping us uh, do what God has called us to do in this city, one of the most unchurched, unreached cities in America. And uh, if you can help us financially, we need your help. We are asking for that. If City Light has not been a blessing to you, then this isn't for you. But if it has been a blessing, if my ministry, my teaching has uh, in any way helped your life, then I want to ask you to be a part of what God is doing here. Amen. Uh, I love you. Um, we, uh, we receive what is called the miracle offering. We do this every year at the end of the year. It is a special offering that we receive over and above any normal giving. It's a one-time gift, and uh, this is going to happen for us November 20th. And we're receiving this offering that's helping us do what we're doing next, which is, if, if you're new with us, we just bought land right there, Jones and Sunset. So right, two exits down, Jones and Sunset. Uh, just bought acreage. We're going to build a building. Here's what it's going to look like. It's going to be beautiful. And uh, it's going to be able to just reach a lot more people with the message of Jesus. Um, and so uh, our church is now um, about to turn five. We will turn five in February. This is now our fifth miracle offering that we've received as a church. Um, and every time we receive these offerings, it doesn't go towards staff. It doesn't go towards a normal ministry, weekly ministry, it's going specifically towards this, towards this building. And so we were able to buy that land cash, uh, which is a, a miracle. It's just an absolute miracle. Now, the building at this point is we're not going to buy cash. <laughs> um, but we have, a, we have an incredible bank that we're partnering with. And um, I haven't brought up numbers to you yet. How much is the building going to cost? How much do we need? Those kind of things. Because I, I don't want to get lost in that right now. We'll, we'll talk about that later, uh, even in a 2023. But right now, um, we're, we're, we're going to give on November 20th towards this building. And every dollar will be designated towards that building. And I'm so excited about it. And uh, all I'm asking is, number one, that everyone get involved. Do something. Be a part of it. And number two, I'm asking to ask the Holy Spirit what you should give. So we're not giving you an amount. We're not saying give this amount. We are asking you to ask God what you should give. And I believe if you'll go talk to God and I'll go talk to God, if we'll all go talk to God, God will talk to us and God will speak to us and there will be more than enough uh, for everything that we need to do as a church. Amen. And so... Um, Pray and obey. That's our, that's our little phrase. Pray and obey. Even Siri saying amen. Pray and obey. <laughs> Pray and obey. And together, uh, we're going we're gonna to do this together. So just, just want to put that in your heart. And let me just remind you of this. Um, you're here because somebody gave for you to find this church. 
Somebody was faithful in their tithe and offering and it, it paid for this building and it paid for those seats you're sitting on and those cameras. And maybe you found us on, how many found us like either through social media or YouTube or something like that? Can I see your hands? So, so look at all those hands. I mean, it's probably half of you. How many were invited by a friend? Can I see your hands? Okay, that's probably the other half. So literally half of you found us through technology. Half of, us found, half of you found us through a friend. Either way, somebody gave for you to find us. Now I'm asking you to give for the next wave of people to find us. And um, we're all going to give, and we're all going to give as the Lord leads us. And I believe that God's going to do the miracle. And the miracle, we call it miracle offering, really for three reasons. Number one, because our church needs a miracle. Number two, because you need a miracle. And number three, one day when we don't need the miracle offering, it's going to be a miracle offering for other ministries who need a miracle. So... Uh, so, so we just sowed 10000 but imagine the day that we can write million-dollar checks and $500,000 checks, and imagine that day. And you go, that'll never happen. It's happened. My, my friend Mike Todd just wrote Travis Green a million-dollar check. Jesus. And the year before, he wrote my friend Brandon Cormier a $500,000 check. Last year, he sowed into our church $100,000. There's going to there's come a day we're not, we're going we're gonna to be so blessed, we're just going to give it all away, and we're going to become a miracle for somebody else. Amen? So I want you to get the vision of this. Second Kings chapter 4, verse 1, there's what the scripture says. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Let me explain what is happening here. This is a, a man that would have served basically on Elisha's staff. And he's now passed away. Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slave. So basically this man has passed away. He owed debts. And back in these days, thousands of years ago, not only could the creditor take their possessions, but they could literally take them as slaves. And so this woman was going to be sold into slavery and her two sons were going to be sold into slavery. And Elisha replied, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing at all except a small jar of olive oil. Everybody say, the miracle, the miracle. is in the house. So Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Notice that he did not say, go ask for oil. He said, ask for jars. He didn't say, go ask for help. He said, ask for jars. He said, create something for God to fill. Don't ask for just a few. Don't think small. Don't ask small. Don't pray small. Don't give small. Don't think small. God's about to do something big. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Why did she have to shut the door? Because she couldn't let doubt and unbelief peek into the house and ask what was going on. And you got to learn how to shut the door on doubt, negativity, unbelief that would try to steal what God's doing in your life. All right, other, this is all other sermons. We're not preaching any of this today. Pour oil into the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him, shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her. That's her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is no jar left. Notice that. God didn't run out of supply. She ran out of demand. It's not that God stopped pouring. It's that she no longer had vessels. Wow. 
the, the oil was going to pour, there was going to be enough provision for the vessels that were available. And so if we think small and give small, God's going to give small. But if we think big, give big, and create a big space for God to fill, God's going to fill that thing. Um, she went and told the man of God, and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. And this is really a miracle. Uh, there, there's so much here, and I've, I've preached this text so many times, but uh, I want to I look at the miracle that happened for those two boys specifically. And I want to talk about a house for the next generation because we are building a church and we are building a house for God for the next generation. And I, before we pray, I'm just going to tell you right now, I, a pastor called me yesterday and he, uh, we were talking for a little bit. He said, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I told him and he goes, is that like, eesh, is that the way like you think you should raise money? And I said, oh no, man, I'm not raising money. I'm a Bible teacher. I teach Christians the Bible. I make disciples. I don't raise money. I'm not a fundraiser. And he goes, well, okay, that's good because that's not how you should, that's not, that's not the kind of sermon you preach to raise money. I said, I understand. Uh, but I'm not. I'm, I just want you to know that I'm not a professional fundraiser. I don't come here on Sundays to beat money out of you. Um, I'm, I'm a pastor called to this city to teach Christians the Bible and make disciples. And <laughs> I'm glad y'all are clapping out. So, um, <laughs> so, so open your heart to this word because it's going to be a little challenging. It's going to be a little countercultural, uh, but it's going to be very necessary for your growth and, and listen for your children, for your children. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come boldly now uh, to your word and into your presence. We're, we're asking you speak, Lord. I come against any distraction or uh, voice that would try to stop this moment. I ask you, Holy Spirit, have your way. Fro flow freely in this room and let your word uh, just literally have free reign in the hearts of your people. Our hearts are open and we're ready to receive from you. In the name of Jesus Christ, everybody said amen. Amen. Amen, amen. All right, 85% of people who receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, 85% will do so before they turn 18. 85% of people who become Christians, 85% of people whose eternal destination will be changed from hell to heaven, it'll happen before they turn 18 years old. Now, if that's true, and it is, then I believe that as a church, we should be radically committed to the next generation. We should build ministry, not around what was, and not even around who is, but we should build ministry around who is still coming into our ministry. We are, we are very grateful and honoring to our past, but we are radically loyal to the future. Children are 22% of our population and 100% of our future. So I have a heart to build ministry that can help reach specifically Gen Z. The generation born between 1997 and 2012. 
I have a heart for that generation, and I want to see that generation come to Christ. I'm passionate about Gen Z because I have a daughter who's Gen Alpha. And if Gen Z does not have a revival, there's going to be great challenges for Gen Alpha. But if Gen Z will get marked by the power and the presence and the love of God, Gen Alpha is going to follow in that. So... If the music ever feels a little loud, if the lights ever feel a little bright, if the messages ever seem a little edgy, just understand that you're in this church not for comfort but for calling. Um, I'm an old soul. I'm 39, but I act 59. I'm an old, I'm just an old soul. I listen to Southern Gospel and I read and I golf. That's who I am. I wear golf clothes for like my dress, except on Sundays when I want to look cool for you. But like, I wear like golf shirts for like, that's who I am now. That's me. I wear golf hats as hats. That's what I do. Okay. So, uh, um, so I'm not building this church for me. I'm not building this church for what I like. I'm building this church out of a conviction to reach the next generation. I'm, I'm, committed. I'm committed to our children. I'm committed to young people. I'm committed to you. I'm committed to, to a generation that desperately needs Jesus. And we're building church with them in mind. I'm, I'm teaching the Bible, and I'm feeding and making disciples, and I'm feeding Christians, but I'm trying to reach a generation that has not yet walked into the room, and I'm very mindful of them in all that I do. So let, let's, talk, let's talk about Gen Z. Let's talk about Gen Z real quick. Boy, I love this crowd. I love the 6 p.m. Gen Z, just give you a few stats. Number one, only 4% of Gen Z has a biblical worldview. 4%, 96% do not. Biblical worldview means that I look at the scripture and I say, this is absolute truth, unchanging. This is God's word to me, inspired and flawless. I, I believe the Bible. I live my life through the lens of scripture, not through culture, but through the Bible. I make decisions based off of scripture, not off of culture. That is a biblical worldview. Now, Gen Z, only 4% would have a biblical worldview. Gen Z spends seven and a half hours a day on their phone. Gen Z is dealing with the highest rates of depression and suicide in world history. Only 25% of Gen Z would consider themselves religious. That's not just Christian. That's just religion. That's anything. Islam, Buddhism, anything. Only 25%. Atheism has doubled from millennials to Gen Z. So I'm a millennial. I'm an old millennial, but I'm a millennial. And from millennials to Gen Z, atheism has doubled. Um, Gen Z, those who identify as LGBTQIA+, has doubled from 10% to 21% from uh, millennials to Gen Z. And 25% of Gen Z has grown up without a father in their home. So that's where Gen Z is at. They're, they're not thinking about God. They're not interested in God. They're, they're, God is, is, not a, is not in their frame of reference. And the only hope for them is churches 
that will do whatever they can and whatever it takes to reach them. And we're going to be one of those churches in Jesus' name. So we're not trying to be the cool church, the young church, the hip church. We're, we're really not. We're not trying to be the young adult church. But we are a multi-generational church that honors every generation yet has the maturity, the conviction, and the calling to say, but the younger ones need this message. And, and we're, in the, we're in the tension of that. <clears throat> Number one, God has always had a plan to use the next generation. God has always had a plan to use the next generation. They brought the jars. Did y'all see that? The boys brought the jars. Think about it. This, this miracle was not done simply through Elisha or through the mama. It was done through the sons. Because what God wants to do in the house is through both generations. Think about this. Notice that the boys were a part of the miracle and God wants you to be a part of the miracle and God wants our children to be a part of the miracle. God wants the younger generation to experience the miracle, be a part of the miracle, see the miracle, have, have, have something in the miracle. Not just where they watch Elisha do things or watch the pastor do things where the Christian celebrity comes up and gives their Christian TED talk, but where the whole house, watch that, the whole house was involved in the miracle. The, the, the prophet, the pastor was involved, but the parents were involved and the children were involved because God has always had a plan to use the next generation. Look, look at some of the young people God used. God gave Joseph a dream. God gave David a Goliath. God gave a boy five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000. God gave Samson a calling. God gave Esther a mission. God gave Mary a Messiah. God gave the disciples a mandate. God has always used the next generation. He does not say, when you grow up, I'll use you. God, in his mercy, grace, in his timing and in his urgency has always raised up young people for kingdom purpose. And that did not, that did not change after the scripture was written. God is still using young people, still calling young people, still anointing young people, still redeeming young people, still, still calling young people into the kingdom of God. God has always had a plan to use the next generation. Look what the scripture says about Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. This is not some abstract poetic statement. This is how God sees children in the womb. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nation. So before we're even born, God already has a plan. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I don't even know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I'm too young. God says, never bring age into the conversation as an excuse. Watch, watch, because whether you're young or old, that's what the enemy's going to try to tell you. You're too young. Go do your thing. Go have fun. Recommit your life to Christ in your 30s and everything will be cool. 
And then when you're old, the devil goes, you so old, you missed it. Where were you? You should have served God when you were younger. It's too late. You've made too many mistakes. Now you can't serve God. Listen, you're not too young to serve God. You're not too old to serve God. You're not too immature to serve God. You're not too bitter to serve God. Young and old. You never bring age to the ageless one. You never bring your age to the God that can restore the years. You never bring your age to the God that can turn water to wine. Because God said, I can turn this whole thing around. Oh, man, I don't start trying to preach already. Sit down. I'm not trying to get fired up yet. Got a lot of sermons. So young or old, God says, don't, don't bring that to me because I'm going to use your life. Look what he said to Samuel. The Lord came and stood calling at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel was a young boy in the house of God and God spoke to him. Can I just tell you right now, we got some classrooms over here. We got a classroom over here. It's not babysitting. Your kids are not in childcare right now. We're not babysitting your kids right now. We're ministering to your children right now because we believe that the Spirit of God can talk to your babies. We believe that the Spirit of God can talk to three-year-olds. We believe that the Spirit of God can talk to a 10-year-old. We believe that the Holy Spirit can speak to children, remind children, minister to children, breathe life on children. We believe that the word of the Lord can come upon children and speak to children, ministering to children. And Samuel said, Lord, here I am. Your servant is listening. We believe that those children can talk back to God. We believe that children can pray. We believe that children can prophesy. We believe that children can hear the word of the Lord. So, so we're, not, we're not watching your kids. We're ministering to your kids because we believe that our children can hear the word of the Lord. That's why parents, if you're a parent in here, you need to stop praying little mamby-pamby prayers over your kids. Lord, just let little Johnny sleep tonight. I hope he just has it. No, no, no. You need to say devil Back the hell up in the name of Jesus. Angels of God, minister to my children tonight. Holy Spirit, fall on my babies tonight. You're a world changer. You're a history maker. You're going to change the world. You've got a destiny. You've got a purpose. God has a plan. You're going to shake nations. And even whether you've got a teenager rolling their eyes or you've got a five-year-old that doesn't know what the heck you're saying, their spirit is hearing you. I didn't mean to say back the hell up, but you know I'm tired. It's my, it's my fifth time preaching. We do not believe in a junior Holy Spirit. We don't believe Jesus Jr. is in there ministering to our kids. Sorry, Ricky Bobby. We don't believe in baby Jesus. We believe that Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, Spirit of the living God, is talking to our kids, ministering to our kids, calling our kids, raising up our kids, healing our kids, breathing confidence into our kids. And we ought to pray that way over our children. Acts chapter 2 says that in the last days, God declares, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. That's all I want to show you right there. That number one, the, the kingdom of God is not just a boys club. It's not a man's religion. It's not just something for men. It, it's for sons and daughters. 
it's for it's for both genders. It's for it's for men and both men and women can be called. Both men and women can speak the word of God. Both men and women can have visions and dreams and prophesy. This is for everybody in the room, and it's also for young and old. It's for your young men. It's for your old men. It's it's for the older women. It's for the younger women. It's for the mothers. It's for the daughters. It's for the fathers. It's for the sons. This is this is God's plan. And he goes on to say in Acts chapter 2, verse 39, this promise, this promise, this message that I'm preaching, the gospel, the, the power of the Holy Spirit, the purpose and plans of God, it, it is for you, yes, but don't let it stop there. And it's for your children. And it's for all who are afar off. Remember when God called Abraham, he was already thinking about Isaac and he was already thinking about Jacob and he was already thinking about Israel. And he was already thinking about Moses and he was already thinking about deliverance and he was already. And, and he wasn't just thinking about them. Galatians chapter three says that when God called Abraham, the seed that Abraham was gonna produce was gonna be the Messiah. So when God called Abraham, he was already thinking a thousand years into the future. That's why the Bible says that the blessing of God goes down a thousand generations. <laughs> Because he's, he's a multi-generational God. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the, he's the God of multi-generations. When, when God calls you, he's calling your family. When God saves you, he's saving your family. When God has a purpose on your life, he has a purpose on your family's life. Don't give up on your kids. We're not going to give up on the next generation. We're not going to give up on the purposes of God for our children. God has a plan for your children. God has a plan for families. God has a plan for the next generation. When I got saved, I was 15 years old, June 10, 1998. And I got radically saved. And I got saved in a church that cared about the next generation, was invested in the next generation, had a, had a heart for the next generation. So when I got saved, it wasn't just a spiritual encounter I had, but it was a radical life transformation because, because once I got born again, I was in an atmosphere that 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 fan, that flame. And I'm the fruit of a multi-generational church and I'm the fruit of a church that was committed to the next generation. And I'm believing that's gonna be our testimony. That's gonna be our children's testimony that I grew up in a church that believed in me and preached to me and cared about me and prayed for me and discipled me and loved me and called me and checked up on me. And, and encouraged me and loved me. And I always knew I had a home at that church. I always knew I was cared about at that church. I always knew that, that people liked me at that church and loved me at that church. And because even when I made mistakes, even when I fell, I always found myself back at the house of God because of the way that City Light loved me and cared about me. And I believe that's going to be the testimony of our children. And here's, here's the crazy thing about that. When I got saved, I not only, not only did my eternal destination change, but God protected me from so much pain, so much shame, so many mistakes, so many things that I would have done through my teenage years and through my college years if I wouldn't have known Jesus. The greatest testimony is not I went crazy for 30 years and then found Jesus. The greatest testimony is I got radically saved as a child and God protected me and I've never tasted drugs and I've never, I've never had to go down. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not judging anyone who who has a crazy past, but I am saying that we can believe for our children. I'm believing that Goldie's never going to taste drugs. I'm believing that she's never going to mess with crazy dudes. I'm believing that she's never going to question her identity. I'm believing that she's, she's going to love God all the days of her life. And I'm praying that way, and I'm, I'm speaking that into her life 
And I, and I have biblical Bible reasons to believe that because God has always had a plan for the next generation. But secondly, the devil's always had a plan to destroy the next generation. Sir, our family needs a miracle because if we don't get a miracle, my sons are going to be sold into slavery. To be a slave is to be forced to obey. Forced obedience. That's what slavery is. It's forced obedience. A slave is someone who is forced to obey. And if we don't reach the next generation, they're just going to go into another cycle of slavery. I'm not, I'm not talking about physical slavery. I'm talking about soul slavery. I'm talking about, I'm talking about being a zombie. I'm talking about alive on the outside, dead on the inside. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about seven and a half hours a day on this thing. I'm talking about medicated. I'm talking about suicidal and depressed. I'm talking about living for likes and living for comments and living to go viral and living for TikTok views and... and I'm talking about that. I'm talking about we, we've, got, we've got to pull people out of forced hope. They don't even know that they're stuck in a system of the world system that says do this or else, but they're, in, they're in, a, in a spirit of forced obedience and they don't even know it. And the Bible said that Satan has come. This is, I told you I'm not here to raise money, so here we go. <laughs> Just in case you're, this is where it gets rocky. I hope you buckled up, okay? Um, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what John 10, 10 says. But Jesus said, I've come to bring life and life more abundantly. But you just got to know this. Satan has a very simple plan for the next generation. Satan has a simple plan for your life, and it's to steal, kill, and to destroy. That's all he wants to do. And he's not going to do it by knocking on your door and, and rocking up to your house in a red spandex suit with a pitchfork and say, can I kill you? He's going to come through confusion. He's going to come through brokenness. He's going to come through temptation. He's going to come through addiction. And he's going to come through you questioning who you are and what God has called you to do. It's going to be right here and it's going to be right here. And we've got to fight for this right here. We've got to fight for the emotions of a generation and the thoughts of a generation. Okay, so Daniel. We're going to go to Daniel now. Daniel chapter 1. We are, we are living in the book of Daniel right now. We are... We are here. I don't, I don't mean that um, in, in a theological way of, of end times theology. I mean that in a way of every, everything in world cultures, everything in world history is cyclical. They just repeat itself. Great men create great times. Great times create weak men. Weak men create terrible times. Terrible times create great men. Great men create great, and on and on and on. And we are in a season of terrible times. We are in a season of challenge right now. And when you read the book of Daniel, you see so many similarities between what was happening in Babylon and what's happening right now in the West. And we can learn from it because there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> and the scripture is not some old book for old times. The scripture is speaking directly with with prophetic relevance to the times that we live in. So there's a king named Nebuchadnezzar. He goes into Israel and the children of Israel become captives to the nation of Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar is looking 
for the best young men that he can find, and he's going to put them into slavery. And he's going he's gonna to brainwash them. He's going to change them so that they can serve his kingdom and serve his purposes. And there is, there is so much staggering prophetic significance to what Nebuchadnezzar did to that generation because we, we see so many of the same things happening again in our generation. And I want to show you a few of these. Um, have, have you ever heard, maybe you grew up in church, maybe you didn't, but have you ever heard maybe the names Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Have you ever, can I see your hands if you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Well, I, I want to I show you a little bit about that. He, he brings these men in. This is Daniel chapter 1, verse 5. He brings in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he brings in Daniel. And the king assigned them, watch this, because this is how it all starts. He assigned them daily food and wine. Um, food in scripture represents doctrine and thinking. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Hebrews chapter six says, I want to take you from the milk of the word into the meat of the word. Food represents doctrine. It represents a way of thinking. Wine represents spirit. It represents feeling and emotions. And Nebuchadnezzar knows if I'm ever going to train these young Hebrew boys to serve my kingdom, I have to get them thinking like me and feeling like me. I must change first their thinking, and if I can change their thinking, I can change their emotions. If I can keep them fat and drunk spiritually, I can keep them in my service. Because most people are just looking for something to eat, to think, to value, and something to feel. They're looking for relief. So the enemy knows this. So he says, I know that if I can give them food and wine, next I can train them. I can train them for three years. I, there's somebody else in the Bible that trained disciples for three years. Because everything in the kingdom of God, there's an anti in the kingdom of darkness. And so, so there's something that God knows and the devil knows about a three-year period if you'll really get radical. And after that, here's what happens next. He said, and then I, I can get them to serve me. This is why we have to be so careful how we think and how we feel and where we're getting our information from. Because depending upon how you think and depending on how you feel will absolutely decide and determine the king you serve. So I, so I get you for an hour on Sunday to try to help you to think and feel God's way. And, but this has you seven and a half hours a day. And you wonder why you have no victory in your life. And you, and you wonder why your mind fights the preaching. <laughs> it fights it because you're, you're at another table six days a week. And then, and then you come to my table for an hour a week. And you're, you're eventually going to have to go, I don't want Nebuchadnezzar's food and I don't want his wine. Okay, at the beginning of every year, we do a thing called a Daniel fast where we fast for 10 days and we eat vegetables. Well, we, we got that fast from Daniel chapter one because Daniel said, I'm not gonna eat your food and I'm not gonna drink your wine. You give me vegetables and water and I'll be 10 times stronger and 10 times wiser than anyone in your camp. Daniel said, I won't eat your, I won't think like you and I won't feel like you. 
I'm not judging you. I'm not better than you. But I, I cannot reason like Babylon reasons. I'm getting somewhere. The next thing that Nebuchadnezzar did is he made them eunuchs. He neutered them. So he now strips them of their manhood, of their masculinity. It's happening all over our nation right now. Turn on the TV and men are dumb. Dads are bumbling idiots. They're the, they're the butt of every joke. Men are not celebrated. Men are not honored. Men don't have an example of what manhood looks like. So then men just become tough and brutal and sexual because they don't know what it is to actually be a protector and a man of honor because they're not seeing it in our culture because we've been neutered as a culture. I told y'all I'm not raising money. I told you I'm not raising money. I told you I'm not raising money. So, so, he, so he strips them of, of their masculinity. He neuters them, makes them eunuchs. Here's the next thing he does. He changes their name. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not their names. It's the names Nebuchadnezzar gave them. Here are their names. Shadrach's name was Hananiah. It means Yah or Yahweh is gracious. Meshach, his name was Michelle, which means who is like our God. And Abednego means, uh, Abednego, uh, his name was Azariah, which means Yahweh has helped me. Shadrach, now watch this. He says, I'm going to change your name. I've, I've taken your gender. I've taken your sexuality. I'm, I've confused it, and now I'm going to change your name. First thing he does, he gives them three female names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not masculine names. They're female names. They're feminine names. Shadrach means servant of Aku. Aku was a god of Babylon, and he was the moon god. Shadrach is also a Babylonian phrase that means I am fearful or I am afraid. Meshach means who can compare to Aku or I am despised. And Abednego means a worshiper of Nebo. So he strips them of their genitalia. He strips them of their identity and he renames them. And then he places confusion on them by giving them female names. Hello, 2022. Watch, don't clap, because I'm not, I'm not a hater. I love everybody. But the sexual revolution that started in the 60s, the, the root that was rebellion, we are now eating the fruit that is confusion. You just got to understand what's happening in our culture. This isn't like, this isn't normal. There is a there is an acceleration to confusion that's happening in our culture. And it's that same spirit of Nebuchadnezzar that did the same thing. Okay, from here, he says, now I'm gonna take you into worship. Daniel chapter three. He said, when you hear my music and you see my image, bow down and worship me. And if you don't, I'll kill you. Watch, watch. So there's music. There's image. The image was gold, greed. And there's fear. If you don't do this, I'm going to kill you. That's where we are, right? Believe what we believe or else. Believe how we believe or we'll cancel you. Don't say that on a, you can't say that on a Sunday, preacher. You can't talk like this on a Sunday. Maybe do a Bible study, but you can't do this on a Sunday because, or we'll cancel you. 
It's where we're at right now. As a generation, it's where, it's where our world is. So he says, when you hear my music, that's why music matters, and that's why you got to be careful what you listen to. Yeah. Image, gold, greed, and fear. Here's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do. They couldn't do anything about them becoming eunuchs. They couldn't change that. But when it was time to bow to the music, the scripture said in Daniel chapter 3, they would not bow. So a whole nation hears the music, and they bow to the image, and three young men stand there. They go, ah, this ain't happening. Throw us in the fiery furnace. This ain't happening. And they tell Nebuchadnezzar this. They say, throw us in the furnace. One of two things is going to happen. Either God's going to deliver us, and even if he doesn't, we will not bow to your image. I feel a little preach on me right now. I feel a little something, something, something happening. I feel a shift in the atmosphere happening right now. And the Bible said, I said the Bible said that Nebuchadnezzar threw him in the fiery furnace. And he said, what's that? Didn't we throw three men in the fiery furnace? I see a fourth man. I see a fourth man in the fire. And he looks like the son of God. Can I tell you, there's a fourth man in the fire. There's a fourth man for our children. There's a fourth man with your family. There's a fourth man that's going to protect us from the fire of culture. And the Bible said the only thing that was consumed in that fire was the ropes keeping them down. We don't judge anybody, but we also can't bow to extremism. Believe what you believe. We love you. Just just don't ask us to bow. (laughs) I'm just telling, and I'm trying to get something on, on parents in here because the answer is not to go live in a bunker until Jesus comes back. Your kids will not be consumed. Listen to me. <laughs> don't, li- don't you dare live in fear. There's a fourth man with your children. There's a fourth man at their school. There's a fourth man wherever they go. There's a fourth man that's going to protect them. There's a fourth man that's going to be with them. Let me say this. Let me say this. It's, it's the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel. So Daniel got another name too. They, they named Daniel Belteshazzar, which means Baal, protect the king. Baal is a false god. It was a prayer, Baal, protect the king. Daniel means God is my judge. Read the book of Daniel. Here's what you'll find. And the book of Daniel's a trip. So it's fun to read. It's like better than Harry Potter. It's, I mean, it's like, it's like sci-fi. It's like, whoa, what am I reading? It's really cool. When you read the book of Daniel, here's what you're going to find over and over again. I, Daniel. I, Daniel, I, Daniel, I, he wouldn't take on the name. (laughs) He wouldn't take on the identity that culture tried to put on him. He knew who he was and he knew who his judge was and he knew who his God was. And so you'll never see him identify as Belteshazzar. He doesn't, he won't take that on. It's not that they didn't call him that. It's that he wouldn't receive that as his identity. 
And, and though they resisted and though they were threatened and though they were thrown in a fire and though they were thrown in a lion's den, God supernaturally protected them and then God elevated them and then they became a voice in their nation. So, so again, this is not we hide out at church and are scared of the world. God's going to give us a voice. A voice of reason, a voice of compassion, a voice of love, a voice of hope, a voice of care. We're not, we're not judging Vegas. Vegas is not a problem to be solved. It's a people to love. We love our city. We're not, we're not throwing stones at our city. We're just, we're just also not bowing. And, and as people hit the end of their road with the disappointments of this world and what the world can offer. May our doors always be open and may they find hope in this house that says there, there is another way. There is a Jesus way. There is a better way. This, this Jesus way is the only way I'll live. It's a, it's a way of compassion. It's a way of love. It's a way of generosity. It's a way of forgiveness. It's a way of hope. It's a way of faith. It's a way of forgiveness. So a multi-generational church is the answer to where we are. Preacher, um, I, I don't have anything except a small jar of oil. That's what she said. Listen to me. What the woman had in her house was enough for the next generation. <laughs> And I believe that what we have in this house is enough for the next generation. I believe that like that woman's house, there is oil in this house. Hallelujah. I believe there's an anointing in this house. I believe there's a touch of God in this house. I believe there's a grace in this house that can shake and shape and change a generation. I, I truly believe that. I believe that out of Las Vegas can come a move of God that shakes the world. I truly believe that. I, I believe it, and here's why. Because if God can do it here, it will inspire pastors to say, if God could do it there, he could do it anywhere. If God could do it in Vegas, he can for sure do it in San Diego. If God could do it in Vegas, no doubt he can do it in Dallas. If, if God could do it in Vegas, he could for sure do it in Oklahoma. If God could do it in Vegas... He can do it in Zurich, Switzerland. If God can do it in Vegas, he can do it in Sydney, Australia. If God can do it in Vegas, he can do it in Cape Town, South Africa. If God can do it in Sin City, he can do it anywhere. If God could use that crazy preacher, Jabin, God could use me. And I believe God's hand is on this house and I believe there's oil in this house and it's not about me and it's not about my ambition. It's not about... I'm trying to be a big deal. I, I had a great life before I planted this church and I could go back to that, but I don't want to go back to that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm here for a city that I, that I believe in. I'm here for a city that I love. I'm here for a people that I care about. We, we are here to reach them with the message of Jesus Christ. And I believe that what is in this house is enough for a city to be deeply impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Give me an amen right there. 
I believe that our worship is enough to stir the hearts of the next generation. I believe that the preaching in this house is enough to renew the minds of the next generation. I believe that our prayers, listen to me, mama, listen to me, dad. I believe that our prayers, listen to me, teacher. I believe that our prayers, listen to me, auntie, uncle, big brother, listen to me, listen to me. I believe that our prayers are enough to stand in the gap between Gen Z and all of hell and say, back up, devil. God's got a plan for the next generation. God has a plan for Las Vegas. God has a plan for America. The best days of this nation are not behind us. They're still in front of us. The best days of this city are still in front of us. The best days of a generation are still in We're not giving up. We're not hiding out. We're not hiding until Jesus comes back. We're believing that God still has a plan. I believe there's a miracle in this house just like there was a miracle in her house. Let me have the keys come up to play me out of here. I need that Grammy music to start playing or I'm gonna preach all night. There was a miracle in her house and I believe there's a miracle in this house. I believe there's a Bible college in this house. I believe there's a food distribution center in this house. I'm not talking about feeding people on the second and fourth Saturday. I'm talking about a, a whole place. I'm talking about a warehouse in downtown Vegas where 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you can get food, you can get a shower, you can get a bed, and you can get hope, and you can hear the gospel, and you can receive prayer. I'm, talk, I'm talking about, I believe it's in the house. I believe there's a K through 12 school in this house. I believe there's a record label in this house. I believe there's 10 campuses in this house, all over Vegas, down to Pahrump, up into St. George, all the way to Boulder City. I believe there's 10 campuses in the house. I believe we're gonna be a region-shaking church. I believe it's here. I believe there's a youth revival in the house. I believe it's here already. And, and I... And don't judge, don't judge, because we just got a little jar of oil right now. I know we're just in a little strip mall. We smell like Buffalo Wild Wings. Don't judge us. You know, people come from, from literally all over the world every week to this church. Like, I'm not over-exaggerating. Because they've been impacted by my ministry, and they come every week. And they, every week, they say the same thing. They walk in, they go, wow. It's a little small. I thought, I saw it on YouTube and kind of thought it was going to be bigger. And, oh yeah, don't judge, don't judge my jar of oil. There's enough oil in this little room. Somebody take a praise break. I feel, I feel something happening right now. There's enough oil in this little room that if we'll be faithful to pour it out, God will be faithful to supply. If we'll be faithful at Sierra Vista, God will be faithful to supply. If we'll be faithful over at that little building, God will be faithful to supply. I know it's little right now, but I'm not despising the day of small beginning. Because the miracle was never in that little jar of oil. The miracle was in the God that provided the oil. Man, I feel a spirit of prophecy on me right now. Wow. Yes. 
Listen to me, Cruz family. God's hands all over you. It's all over your kids. I see the angel of the Lord stand at your home. I see supernatural protection and revelation. I see your best and brightest days are still in front of you. You've gone through the fire. You've come out like pure gold. Don't be afraid of 2023. Don't be afraid of what the enemy has lied to you and said it will bring. It will be a supernatural year. It will be supernatural provision. There will be supernatural answers. It will be heaven on earth. It will be like days of heaven on earth. You've sowed in tears, you'll reap in joy. In Jesus' name. In, in, in Exodus 35, Moses is, he's receiving an offering for the tabernacle and everyone, oh, okay, here we go, here we go. He's talking about money. It was a setup. No, duh, it was a setup. <laughs> Grow up. Yes, we're, it's called miracle offering. It's happening. I'm, I'm trying to build your faith to help us. Help me. Help us. Help this church. Help us do what God's called us to do. Be a part of it. Don't just watch it. Be a part of it. And, and God, there's such a supernatural, beautiful thing that happens in Exodus 35 because um, when, when God speaks to Moses in Exodus 3 and 4 and 5 and in those early chapters, God, God tells Moses, you go to Pharaoh and you tell him, let my people go. We're going to go to the desert and worship. He says nothing about a tabernacle. He just says, we're going to go worship. Once they get to the place God called them, then he said, now build me a tabernacle, a place I may dwell with my people. Please watch this. I understand that you can worship God anywhere, and you should. Six days a week, I worship God by myself, but one day a week, there is something powerful about gathering with the people of God. And it was a big deal to God because as soon as he gets his people out of Egypt, he says, now build me a place. I, I desire a place to be worshiped. So now in Exodus 35, Moses is receiving an offering for the tabernacle. And he, he says, guys, we're going to need all kinds of things. I, I won't read it, but it's, it's in your notes. You can follow along later. But he says, we're going to need gold. We're going to need wood. We're going to need stones. We're going to need uh, precious stones. We're going to need silver. We're going to need uh, different materials and different clothing. We're going to need all these different things for the tabernacle. And, and it's important because everyone's level was different. So some people had the means of gold and diamonds and rubies, but other people just had cloth and wood. You understand there, there might be a millionaire in the room tonight and there might be a living by faith heir here tonight, like <laughs> living on credit. Oops. <laughs> you know, like, so God says, depend, depending on your level, bring something to the house of God. Now, after Moses asked the people to do this, here's verse 20, Exodus 35, 20. So the whole community of Israel left Moses and returned to, the, to their tents. Watch that. They went back to their house. 
And all whose hearts were stirred and whose spirits were moved came and brought their sacred offerings to the Lord. They brought all the materials, watch this, needed for the tabernacle. Please hear me. God doesn't have a need. The tabernacle had a need. God has no needs. We have a need. This offering isn't going to repave the streets of gold in heaven. That's not what we're doing. God's good. We have a need. And the tabernacle had a need. I, w- I, want, you to, I want you to capture that because you're, you're partnering with a tabernacle. You're partnering with a church who has a need. For the performance of the rituals for the sacred garments. In other words, for all the needs of the building. Both men and women came, all whose hearts were willing. Please watch. Now in Exodus 36, just write it down or it's in your notes. Exodus 36, 6. Here's what, here's what happens. Moses literally goes before the people and says, stop giving. I've never done this. I've never been at that point yet. Y'all need to, st- you're too generous. Stop giving. We have all that we need and more for the house of God. Stop giving. Watch this. Everything the house of God needed was in the houses of the people. Please hear me. Everything the tent of God needed was in their tents. Everything the tabernacle needed was in their houses. And this is the beauty of church. Please hear me. Everything this house needs is in your house. Watch. And everything your house needs is in this house. Now, I don't have to be your house. Go to Favor City. Go to the crossing. Go go wherever you want. But you need a house. Because you got to have a place you receive. you gotta have a, You got to have a place where your house and that house connects. But the, but the tabernacle did not need some billionaire to pay for it. It was all in the houses of the people. Everyone did their part. And when everyone did their part, every need was taken care of. I'm going to tell you this story and I'm going to end. About a year ago, a guy walked up to me at church and said, I want to have lunch with you. And uh, he said, I want to, I want to give the church a large donation. I said, let's, let's eat. <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> and, we, and we sat at Jenga. And he said, I'm going to give the church $100 million. Okay, just, you want me to break the ice? He didn't do it. <laughs> we wouldn't be here if he did, right? Like, we'd be at Allegiant Stadium just because. <laughs> like, just for fun. <laughs> we'd be at the wind, just, be, just ran out the, no, we wouldn't do that, but. So, so he says, I'm going to, and I went, whoa, okay, you know, and I'm eating spicy tuna going, Jesus, okay, you know. Um, I leave and I call a friend who's a, he's a, he's a friend, but he's a big brother. He's a mentor. And I, I said, hey, uh, so I don't know what to do about this. This guy just said, he, he's going to give me a hundred, he's going to give the church a hundred million dollars. And here was his response. He went, uh, and I, I literally, I, I went like, this. I said, you don't believe him? And he goes, it's not that I don't believe him. I hope that happens for you because it's going to help you sleep really well at night. It'll be a miracle for you. He said, I'm just bummed for your people. I said, what? 
He said, if, if you go in front of your church and you tell your church that someone gave 100 million, they're not going to give anymore. And that gift is going to rob them of the faith to get involved with your ministry. And I went, man, I got to go. <laughs> I rebuked that. I said, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke the curse of, that's trying to be spoken over our ministry. And I release 100 million into the atmosphere. It didn't work. None of that worked. So I was trying to all my charismatic, I was anointing with oil, pleading the blood, speaking in tongues. It didn't work. So that guy disappeared and, and he never gave. And, and I'm reminded of this text. Because if we were to move into that building or into a building with that kind of donation. Now, okay, time out. Of course, that would be amazing. Lord, if you want to do that still, <laughs> I'm open. Um, but but we would have we walked into that building and went, how cool is that? That dude paid for our building. That's cool. But instead, we're going to walk into that new building in about 18 months. We're going to walk into that new building. And, and you're going to go, we're a part of this. We sacrificed and we prayed and we obeyed and it was scary and we took a step of faith, but we went back into our house and we got a gift for God's house. And when we gave God a gift for his house, he somehow supernaturally took care of our house. And, 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 and we're going to walk into that building not saying we paid for it. We're going to walk into that building saying we gave to it. We all, we all played a part in the story of God in this city. And some people are going to hear from God. They're going to give $10. And other people are going to give $10,000. other people, I'm, I'm praying. I am praying for supernatural gifts. I'm believing God for a million-dollar gifts and $500,000 gifts and $100 million. I mean, that would be amazing. I'm not going to limit God. But what I am saying is we're, we're, we're not hoping for Mr. Big Bucks to walk in and write a check. We are all going to hear from God. And we're all going to do whatever the Holy Spirit tells us to do. And there will be plenty of provision for the tabernacle. Watch. There was enough in her house. And there was enough in their tents. And there's enough in our house. To do everything God's called us to do. And we're all going to do it. And I'm so excited about, especially, you know, I look at this service, all these young people in this service. You're going to raise your kids in this house. You're going to raise your kids in this church for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and you're going to be able to look at your children and go, guys, we were a part of this. We were a part of this. We built a building in a recession. There was wars going on, and there was crazy inflation happening, and there was interest rates were going bananas, and, and, and yet we, we believed God, and God did a miracle for our church. Yeah. And he didn't do it for us and for our, for our bigger seat and for our fancier auditorium. He did it for that children's wing that's going to be filled with hundreds of children that are going to hear the word of God every service and are going to be radically changed by the message.
pray and obey. Pray and obey. Pray and obey. Some people have said, can I give now? I feel led to give. I already know my number. Give now. Do whatever you want, but pray and obey. That's all I'm asking you to do, pray. And the Lord, I believe, will speak to all of us. And it'll be, it'll be a beautiful thing. I believe in November 20th, we'll have a testimony of God's faithfulness. And I'm excited about it. Amen. I hope you heard my heart today. I'm, I'm trying to give you some biblical and prophetic realities around even the, the world we're living in right now. And I, w- I want you to be full of faith, not fear. I want you to know God's hand is all over you. And he's going he's gonna to miraculously take care of his people. The greatest days of the church are in front of us. I'm talking about for the body of Christ and it's, it's for you. Jesus' name.